Welcome to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green, a certified financial planner and CFO for online coaches, and I'm on a mission to help online coaches keep more money in their pockets. If you're building an online service business and you want to learn how to grow your profits, manage your money, and pay less taxes all while pursuing your dream life, then you're in the right place. Justin Green is the founder of AssistFP, a financial planning firm, and Be a Wealthy Coach LLC, an outsourced CFO service. All opinions expressed in this episode are mine solely and not reflective of AssistFP or Be a Wealthy Coach. As always, this podcast is not advice and it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Always consult with your own financial tax and or legal advisor before making any decisions. Welcome back to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green, and I want to remind you that the podcast is being rebranded to Intentional Profits. You'll see that shift in branding by the end of the month. I truly believe, though, that if you've enjoyed listening to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast, then stay tuned in, stay following the show, because you're going to continue to enjoy the Intentional Profits podcast, because I'm still focused on bringing you quality financial education for your business and personal life, as well as interviews with successful intentional business owners. With that being said, I wanted to show you what you can expect with one of my very first Intentional Profits guest. Today, my guest is Andrew McIntosh, the founder of the First Gen Entrepreneur Community. As the first person in his family to start a business, Andrew's proud to be called a first-generation entrepreneur. Without any prior knowledge on what it takes to grow a business, he graduated, with honors, from the School of Hard Knocks when he sold his business in 2021. Now he's on a mission to help as many first-gen entrepreneurs as he can by helping them get over the quote-unquote entrepreneurial hump, as he likes to call it, and enjoys the freedoms that business ownership has to offer. To that end, he's founded the organization First Generation Entrepreneurs, where they can get all the help, support, and guidance that they need to grow their businesses successfully. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Let's dive in with Andrew McIntosh. Andrew, thanks for coming on. Uh, let everyone know, where are you calling in from? And, you know, we just got the professional bio, but tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Who is Andrew? I am calling in from uh, Louisville, Kentucky or just a little bit outside of Louisville. So that's the closest thing. Um, yeah. And I am a entrepreneur at heart, uh, an IT guy, former IT guy by trade. So computer nerd all my life turned entrepreneur, uh, was the first in my family to start a business and learned everything the hard way. And now I'm trying to help other people do the same, uh, or do better than I did. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Very cool. I'm, uh, I'm excited to dive in the, um, you know, the IT thing is so funny. I was actually, I was FaceTiming my niece yesterday. She's five years old, uh, twins. And um, she said something. I said, well, you know, when I was your age, I couldn't do this. We, Well, why didn't you have an iPad? And I said, I had like an AOL disc, like for dial up internet, right? And I couldn't explain that to her, obviously. But I was like, an iPad didn't exist when I was that age. She was like, did you even have electricity? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we did have that. Um, so tell us about the first, you know, the first IT business that you started and, you know, what year was that and, and what exactly were you doing? I've heard you talk about having an IT business. I actually haven't heard much more than an IT business, which I know can mean probably hundreds of different right. things. Yeah. So I, uh, I moved to Kentucky. I'm from Illinois originally. Uh, so I moved here in 2004. 
And I got a job working for uh, this company that provided IT services to other businesses. So it was a B2B play uh, where essentially anything pertaining to technology for a small business, if you needed computers and servers and internet and, uh, you know, help desk and backups and all that kind of stuff. And so I had a long history of, of familiarity with tech. I've, I've only ever worked in the tech industry, starting with a, my first real job was at a computer store when I was 14. So I had the technical chops at that point, but that was my first exposure to that business model. Uh, of serving other small businesses as their virtual IT department, if you will. And so I actually um, started moonlighting around 2005, uh, which was all on the up and up, by the way. I was working with people that he, you know, the owner wasn't interested in working with. Um, and so I, I was working full time, but then doing side work uh, nights and weekends, essentially. And then that started to grow and build and then eventually got to the point where I was able to quit my job and then just start working for myself in 2006. So that's when my IT company, Sky Technologies, S-K-Y-E, it was called, was born. And how long did you work on that for? 15 years, uh, just about. Yeah, I wound up selling selling the company in, in 2021. In 2020, you were an overnight success, right? Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything comes to fruition in that that year before. Um, all right, so you exited in 2021, and what what came next? So you decided to find a, a community. So you're running a community called First Gen Entrepreneurs. How did that come about? Like, what, like, how did you go from being the IT guy to hey, I want to run a community? I, I feel like those don't really go hand in hand all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And it wasn't really intentional. Um, it just kind of worked out that way. So I was working for the company who acquired mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for just about a year, a little over a year, uh, to help with the transition. Uh, I knew that I wasn't going to stay there long term, but I didn't know what I was going to do next. And so I started actually posting on LinkedIn under this concept of just start building a personal brand, even if you don't know where, where you're going to go with it. And then as a result of that, started meeting new people, just virtual coffees, networking, that kind of thing. And then when they would ask for my story, I kept saying over and over again that I was the first person in my family to start a business. Just to me, that's always been a relevant part of the story. Mm-hmm. And then one day uh, in one of my posts, I coined this term first gen entrepreneur. I had like three people message me that day and said, Hey, I've never heard it put that way, but I'm a first gen entrepreneur. And in that moment, we instantly got each other. It's like, Oh, okay. So you're a little crazy too, first <laughs> of all. And secondly, I get exactly what you're going through and vice versa. I know how hard that can be. And so that kind of got me thinking about like, okay, there's, there's probably a large number of people out there who are today where I was 15 years ago. And what can I do to help those folks? And so that's, that's essentially kind of what got me started down that road. I had a number of people tell me that I should become a business coach just because my experience, I think, uh, legitimizes me as, as a business coach. But the problem that I had with that was like, man, if I, if I went that route, I could really only help like, I don't know what, eight or 10 people at a time 
tops. And it's like, maybe I could do something that, that could help a lot of people all at once. And that's where I came up with this, this community model. So I kind of think of it like a bridge to a business coach, essentially. I got a lot of thoughts there and a lot of questions. The, I feel like I've actually had a similar, well, one, I am a first gen entrepreneur and I'm in the community. So anyone listening, like, just know that I have a biased opinion there. Um, I am in the community. It's awesome. You should, you should definitely check it out. We'll drop the links, uh, later and in the show notes, but the, um, the idea of building a community. So last episode, I actually dropped, I let everyone know that, um, Colton Etherton, another financial advisor, not sure if you're familiar with him. He goes by the tattoo artist advisor. Uh, him and I are dropping a, a community and it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And it really goes back to what you just said. As a financial advisor, I love doing that work and I love working one-to-one with clients. But when I originally launched, I was working with online health and fitness coaches and I was getting so many young, young entrepreneurs coming to me. And the reality is, is they weren't ready for a one-to-one financial advising relationship. And I wanted to help them and I would try. And so I was like trying to fit, you know, a square peg into a circle or, you know, whatever that saying is. And I really wasn't able to help them to the best of my ability because I was trying to work with them the way I would work with an advising client. And it's just two completely different avenues. And so that's why after, you know, a couple of years of doing this, you know, Colt and I had so many conversations, he was running into the same issues that we're like, we got to try something else. Like it's got to be a different way and it doesn't actually need to be financial advising and like it can actually be more of like business building, but financial systems in the business. And so that's how we settled on that. But, you know, the only reason I'm mentioning that is just to say, like, I totally agree with your point. Like there's so many business coaches out there that say, just do high ticket one-to-one and I get it. But then there's also the lifestyle. And I'm, I'm curious if you thought about that, like there's a lifestyle aspect of being solely responsible in a one-to-one relationship when they call, like you really need to pick up, you know, when they reach out, you really need to be there. Um, if they have things that are due, you really can't be on vacation when that time comes until you build out and grow a team, if that's your, your goal. Um, but I feel like a lot of, there's probably a lot of people in first gen entrepreneurs, that's not their goal. And I talked to a lot of coaches, that's not their goal either. They don't want a big team. They want a couple contractors. Um, but for the most part, they're, they're the guy, they're the girl. And so I'm curious if your like lifestyle had anything to do with that decision as well. Yeah, it did for sure. Uh, you know, if you take into consideration the background that I came from as an IT guy, I was in that exact situation you were talking about. When I was a one-man show, it's like I was on call 24-7. You know, when someone's computers are down, their business is at a complete standstill. It's a very high-stress, um, you know, type of situation. And so I definitely, that was part of it, is that I don't want to find myself back in that situation where, People are dependent on me to drop what I'm doing and, and come in and help in that way. And so the community model is good for that because so much of it is asynchronous. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. here's these spaces where you can ask questions and then people can respond when they have time, myself included. Um, so it's not live ammunition in that way. But then we also do have weekly meetups, which are live and mm-hmm. are super valuable and useful, but it's once a week. You know, so it's not not a big deal for me to kind of have a routine like that. And now in between those meetings, I'm doing lots of stuff behind the scenes to facilitate. But, yeah, I don't have that um, kind of on call or drop what you're doing type of relationship, really. 
mm-hmm. with anybody, which is nice. And then the fact that it's all digital and online means that I can be anywhere in the world as long as I've got internet access. You know, I can be just as useful as if I were in my hometown. Um, and the same is true for most of the members of the community as well. They're mostly online entrepreneurs who have that same kind of flexibility. So yeah, it works pretty well. I'd be willing to bet too, if you had to miss one of those weekly calls, there's somebody in the community that would be like, Hey, I can run it for you. I'd be willing to bet that. Yeah. I've had a few people raise their hands already and, and kind of volunteer to do that, which is, which is like so encouraging and heartwarming and exciting because it's like, this is, it's not about me. This is bigger than me. It's about helping other people. And when, when someone kind of shows that, that altruism, like, Hey, I want to get in the middle of this. I want to be involved and and help it. It's like, this is, this is cool. It's kind of a becoming a movement and I I love to see it. So when you first, uh, when you finally, you know, you had the idea and then you finally decided to go in on the community, how quickly did you get started? Like what, like, where did you look for, for guidance on how to start a community? Like, were you in other communities? So this was already kind of top of mind for you. I'm just curious if anyone's listening and they've, they've thought about the community idea, um, where, where would you start? Yeah. So the platform that I'm using, uh, for it is called circle. If you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that. And I started joining other circle communities and seeing how they were doing it. Um, most of which were free. One of which was paid. Uh, through a guy who helps people with the kind of creator, you know, aspect of, of business. Drop the name. Um, his name is Jay Klaus. There's a lot of people. He's a, he's a rising superstar. Good dude. I love Jay's content. Really yeah. good. I knew that's who you were talking about. So I was like, drop yeah. that name. Let people know. Yeah. Good guy. Um, and he got me by the way. So if he ever, <laughs> if he ever listens to this, I'm giving away some trade secrets here probably, but what he his model is he's got a cap on how many members can join. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 200, and right? 200 people. And so I saw that early on when he had like 80 people or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. You know, that, that could be worth doing someday. Next thing I know, a month goes by, I get an email from him that says, hey, I've only got like 12 spots left. And it was on a weekend. And it was like, crap. I guess I'm joining Jay's community this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that went fast. No, yeah. scarcity works, right? I, I think we see it online all the time, but the the problem with most of the time when people use scarcity is you can tell it's fake, right? And yeah. so uh, a, a 200 cap, it's like you get in there and there's only five people. You're going to be like, hey, what the hell? You right. know, you know, there's 200 people in there. And so that's legit scarcity that he caps at 200. Um, and he's had it that way for quite a while. So there's, you know, because the, people could say, I'm going to cap it at 200. You get to 200. You're like, ah, I'm going to actually yeah. cap it at 250, right? But we see the posts all the time of like, I'm only working with five more people. Da, 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 like, And it's like, yeah, but you've posted that every week for the last 52 weeks. Like, I know that's not real scarcity. That's true scarcity, Jay. Jay found a way to truly capitalize on what actual scarcity was. Well, and it's, it's genius on a few levels because as soon as that, the scarcity really, I think he, he signed up like 30 people in a, in a course of a weekend or something. Um, so that closed the doors. It went to a waiting list and the price shot up all at the same time. So then what happens is, is you can join his waiting list uh, at a higher price point once you do get in. So every time he loses a member, he gets in, he's got five people waiting to join. So he immediately replaces them at a higher, higher price point. So it's like, 
it's like it's actually a win for him to lose a member which is that's smart yeah it's, yeah it's very smart but then it it also is legit because the basis for why he's doing it is he's like i can only give my attention to a finite number of people sure and for him 200 was the number um for me i'm not putting a cap on it i want to go way beyond 200 gotcha. but i'm doing it in a very different way jay's community is all about jay jay is the expert there mm -hmm. right and that's why people join in the first place because they want to be able to uh, mimic his success and figure out how he's doing it and how he's he's succeeded for me i'm not the the business guru guy right like i don't have all the answers what i'm trying to do is pool together people who come from all different backgrounds and industries and perspectives and my thesis is every one of them is a is an expert in their area and they bring something hugely valuable to the table so the more people we have the more beneficial this becomes it's just that the name of the game is is for me it's going to actually involve building a team where we have subject matter experts in different areas people who run events without me like i'm trying to to build something that can have an impact on hopefully someday thousands of entrepreneurs not just 200 who happen to to get it not that that's a knock on jay but it's just a whole different no completely different model i've actually i noticed that about yours is um you you get in there and it's not about you like there you actually you don't really post content you just have conversations right mm -hmm. um i noticed that from the very beginning and i thought it was unique and interesting and um i thought it made sense though because i think the power of the community is the community if you wanted to sell your information, you could sell a course. Exactly. You know what I mean, right. um, so I thought it made made a lot of sense. I've actually noticed some changes recently. Um, so, what's your vision be, for like the community to grow in general? I noticed that you've kind of highlighted like a zero to hundred k, hundred k plus. Um, so I kind of wanted to hear you talk about that because I thought it was really neat and really cool. Um, so why don't you walk us through those like three steps? So we're the community. I, I would say that we are at version 1.0 of the mm -hmm. community right now. And I've really focused and honed in on kind of the emotional aspects of entrepreneurship and how lonely it can be. You don't know what you don't know, the stresses and anxieties that come with that. And so there's a huge emotional component to joining this community and, and knowing that you're not alone, having some people you can bounce ideas off of, having people who can tell you, what you're experiencing is normal and that's going to be okay. And here's what to do next. But someone once asked me a question though. Um, it was actually the guy who was helping me build a landing page. So we're going through his process. His name's Mike shout out to Mike. Um, and he asked me as part of his, his process, like what is the transformation that your members go through once they join? And it was like, well, <laughs> I don't really have one yet. Uh, it's more about helping you feel better, but we don't like put anybody on a specific track and like take them from point A to point B. Now, uh, a lot of the members actually ran that by them and they're like, don't underestimate the value of the emotional support that we're getting through this and the advice that we get. It's hugely valuable and it stands on its own two feet, but it did get the gears turning for me. It's like, okay, if I were to, um, provide some sort of transformation, what, what can I facilitate to make that happen? And so in talking to a lot of the members, depending on where you are at what stage of the entrepreneurial journey you're in, 
you can kind of break it down into two camps. And it, this is an arbitrary number, but it's easy to, uh, to follow is sure. that if you're, if you're trying to get to six figures in revenue still, you really only have one problem and that's sales, right? Like get clients. Yeah. You have Make a lot money. of other problems, but they can all be solved just as soon as you got the money in the bank to, you know, pay people to help you with that. And so I'm creating, uh, some accelerators kind of what I'm, this is loose and still early, but like a six week program where we can help people to craft a compelling offer, define who their target audience is, build a list around that, start doing some outreach, but do it in a way that's not cringy, uh, that's peer reviewed that, you know, we can kind of workshop this whole thing together and hold each other accountable to, to drive some real results. Um, and so the intention there is to help people get to that six figure mark, right? Now we're talking about real transformation that they've gone through that, that boot camp uh, before they actually get dropped into the community at large. So now mm. when people do come in, it's like, man, I've already experienced some good results from doing this and it should help with the, the experience there. And then for people who have crossed that six figure mark and now they want to get to seven figures in revenue, if that's their goal, you no longer have a sales as your number one problem. Now it's, scaling and operations, mm -hmm. you have an operations problem. And so I'm wearing all the hats. How do I start taking these off one at a time, methodically delegating, building, uh, processes and a team to help scale this thing in a way that it doesn't depend on me for everything. That's also unchartered territory for most first gen entrepreneurs. They don't even know what's possible, let alone how to do it. Right. And so that's kind of version 2.0 of the community is I'm working on all of the frameworks for that right now, where we, we do these accelerators on the front end and masterminds most likely on the back end to, to help facilitate that. So it'll kind of become this three-legged stool where people at different price points, they can come in, get the transformation they need, depending on what stage they're at in business. I like that vision. And I do think that there, there are clear stages, um, that need to be like delineated. I, I ran into it in terms of money advice as well. Um, there's like make money. Okay. Now you're making money. You need to learn how to manage money. Right. And then you need to learn how to grow your money. It would kind of, it actually probably fits very closely with your breakpoints a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, cause I would get entrepreneurs or coaches or consultants, et cetera, that come to me in that early, like zero to hundred K and they would, you know, let's say less, let's say zero to 50 K and they would, you know, they'd be like, ah, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You do need to do all that. I literally can't help you because there's no money to do it with. Right. It's like, right. if you want to invest for your future, that's cool. You need money to put into accounts. Um, and they would come in and there's just like, there's no money there. Right. And it's, you go through the cash flow and you're like, it's not that you're overspending. You, you're just paying your regular bills. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you just need to learn how to make more money. I'm not the guy to teach you that. That's mm -hmm. not my, my skill. My skill is now that you're making money, how do I help you manage it? Right. And right. so I always felt like I was lacking in a sense. I didn't want to become a business coach, but I did feel like I needed to gain more, more knowledge and, and the resources to help those that did come to me and say, Hey, try these out to make more money. Um, you know, and then you can go hire the actual expert, you know, I can be a little bit of a, um, generalist and just kind of give you some nuggets of information because I love business in general. I love reading about it. I love learning about it. Um, I think I'm 
probably spend far more time learning about marketing and sales for a financial advisor than uh, your average advisor. Um, so, you know, I do have a passion for, you know, like building a story brand or like Russell Brunson stuff, you know, Alex, Alex Hormozzi, et cetera. And I like to take all that and apply it. But at the same time, like I am not a marketing sales guru. And right. so I just I found that those breakpoints, I, re I resonate with those breakpoints. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's tough, too, because it's like it if you're a decent person, um, the altruistic part of you, it's like you want to help other people. Right. Like I'm not claiming to be a decent person. Like I can't go on record <laughs> with that just yet. Yeah. Um, so, well, hypothetically, if you were a decent person, Justin Green, um, <laughs> you know, what you would want is to help as many people as you can. But yeah, there's still just the reality of, you know, you need to be able to make a living too. You can't just give all this kind of stuff away. Uh, you can't give your time away for free. And so that's something that I'm, I'm working on too is like, my heart is with the first gen entrepreneur who in my view has the cards stacked against them. You know, we, we don't have some of the advantages that people who certainly who have inherited a business, <laughs> you know, if you get to just take over a machine that's already working, odds are in your favor that this is going to work out just fine. Uh, we're on the other end of the spectrum where not only do we, are we starting from scratch typically, which, is inherently difficult but then the fact that we don't even know what's possible or how to do it we don't have a network of connections we don't have a financial safety net you've got all of these things working against you and so i want to help those folks but there's also you know that chicken and egg situation just like money management i can't really talk to you about managing money if you don't have any money to manage and it's just a different stage of the journey um and so that's where i think it's there's there's a little bit of balance there because you might have a desire to help everybody, but the reality is, is you, you can really only help people at a certain segment of the, of the market or a certain stage of business. But then if what you're doing works so well that you can, you'll have additional resources that can help other folks at different stages, then by all means go for it at that point, but don't get too hung up on it. Otherwise you'll never get your own business off the ground. Yeah. I think that's what I love so much about the community model though, is that like, if I could send, so if a coach comes to me and they're struggling to make money, if I can send them to a community at 49 or $99 a month and they can learn some of those skills over three to six months, you know, not a get rich quick thing, but you know, some skills that they can acquire, like that is so much easier, more comfortable for me than to say, Hey, go hire. Cause I, I ran into this a lot. I'd get coaches who came to me after they had done this. They had amassed massive credit card debt because they had hired a, $20,000 business coach or a business coaching program, especially in the health and fitness. It was very common. Mm -hmm. um, so they go, they go take out these like personal third party loans, you know, take out 20 grand of debt. And then they would start to make a little bit more money, but this model was teaching them the moment they were making more money, they had hire. So now mm -hmm. they're hiring. So they're not keeping any of this money. And so I love the idea of the communities because it allows those individuals a platform where they can learn about building a business without accruing a massive amount of debt. Because I think there's nothing worse than accruing a bunch of high interest debt early on in the business. It will destroy way more businesses than it helps. Yes, I get it. It allows you to build and buy things and invest in yourself and da 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 da, da which is the most overused marketing spiel ever. 
at the end of the day, it's going to destroy way more businesses that you'll never hear of because they don't get off the ground than it helps, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I know some people disagree with, with me on that. I just, I've seen it so many times. That's yeah. why I love these community models. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it, it's interesting too, because I, I feel like um, not everybody is a, is a charlatan, you know, who's selling you a bill of goods here. Like there's a lot of folks that are legit but you do need to be at a certain stage of revenue and income before you should take a leap quite like that. You know, um, if you're already making, uh, you know, you have not making, but like your revenue is already a million dollars a year and you, you now want to spend 20 grand on a coach or a specific program. You only need a, a 10% increase in your business. And that thing is paid for itself five times over. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you're bootstrapping something from scratch, like just because you spend money on something does not automatically equate to revenue generating activities for you. Right. And so that's a big leap of faith. The idea of taking out a loan to do something like that, I think is, uh, generally not a very good idea. So I agree. <laughs> um, you know, and, and with what I'm visualizing right now, like I said, it, it's still, it's still a work in progress. We're just building out the curriculum for it as we speak, but something at a much, much lower, more accessible price point, um, that also my main thing is trying to teach someone how to fish. I don't want to give them a fish. I want to teach them to fish, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you're going to need to learn how to sell, right? Like even CEOs of big companies, they're still salespeople at heart. Or if you get to a certain point, you just hate selling and you want to hire someone away, well, that's good and fine, but you still need to know how to sell so you can qualify and vet the people who are going to do this for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and the truth is, is if you're just starting off, you can't afford to hire a salesperson. So something's got to give, let's address it head on and like get, get you going in a motion that's going to generate some results for you. So to me that that falls in that category of genuinely helpful and not just something that I can convince people to spend 20 grand with me. And now I'm winning and whether you succeed or not, it's kind of not my problem. Like I don't, I don't like that model. Yeah. I think you make a good point about sales there too, for first gen entrepreneurs. I actually had a, an advisor reach out to me recently and he was like, Hey, I see you got your master's in financial planning. I'm thinking about doing it. Do you think it would help me get more clients? And I was like, no, like not at all. Like it'll, it'll, you'll gain knowledge from it. You'll probably be a better advisor for it in the long run, but to get clients, no, you're gonna have to learn sales and marketing. And that's the reality for anyone who's starting a business. I don't care what your trade is. You know, if you're an advisor, very little time is going to be spent on advising early on. No, it's going to actually be sales and marketing, whether you're a plumber starting a business. You're going to do very little plumbing early on because you're going to have to learn how to do sales and marketing to go get clients, right? And so I think that's a, a, a really good point you made there. You also talked about bootstrapping, and I heard you on another podcast say how you actually felt like bootstrapping turned into an advantage for you. And I wanted to hear kind of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, for me, you're talking about bootstrapping versus like an acquisition, acquiring an existing business. Uh, versus just kind of having the advantages that first gen entrepreneurs yes. don't really have. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it, it's kind of like, I, I'm the type of person who learns by doing, right. I think that's pretty universally true. Most of us learn by doing. 
Uh, and so I think there's a ton of advantages. If you're starting from scratch, it means you have to do just about everything. Uh, and so that drives home a lot of good lessons. It helps you get your reps in, you know, kind of building that muscle memory, gaining confidence in yourself, your decision-making abilities. Those all kind of make for someone who's really kind of this battle tested, battle scarred <laughs> entrepreneur who, who has survived and, and hopefully even thrived. So I think that bootstrapping a business is, um, is a really good thing that builds a lot of good qualities in a person. The downside is that, especially as a first gen, in, in my case, and I assume this is the case for most, is you make a lot of really expensive, costly, time-consuming setback mistakes. Um, and, you know, some mistakes are good as learning experiences, but some are like, nope, I, I didn't, you know, yeah, I learned, but I re would rather have not learned that one. <laughs> <laughs> I learned the lesson I would rather not have ever right, learned. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what's that expression about a, a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Yeah. And that's where it's like, yes, there are some lessons that you can benefit from, from other people instead of learning it the hard way. Um, you know, but then there's other things that are more productive, like back to the learning how to sell. It's like, that's worth learning some lessons the hard way and going through the motions and, and getting that and, and mastering that that skill but other goofy things like um you know for me i got hit with a giant tax bill i think you and i talked about this it's almost like a rite of passage yep it's like it, yeah i i would much rather have just avoided that altogether and had someone sit me down and explain like why that happens and how you can avoid it and me go oh yeah that's a that's a big pitfall let me not do that I'm just, I'm a lot better off at that than actually having to go through it to learn that lesson. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, so that was probably back in like 06, you got hit with that? Yeah, so um, 06 is when I started. And so I think it would have been in 07 in April. So, taxes so we're were almost 20 years later, 15, 20 years later. And there's still not a lot of people out there teaching entrepreneurs that that's coming, right? That's so that's something I run into a lot is I'll get people right after that's happened um, or right before because they heard about a friend who it happened to and they're like, I know, I know I'm next. See, um, yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's an awareness that I try to get out there as well as, you know, because what actually happens too is when you build an online business, your first year probably usually sucks. Mm -hmm. um, you don't make a lot of money. And so when you don't pay your taxes, there's really nothing to pay. Um, and so then you don't know until in the next year. And you, if you do really well, that next, that second or third year, that year, you're still not prepared, but all of a sudden you've made a lot of money and that's right. when you get hit, right? It's usually not the first year for most entrepreneurs. They don't make enough money. Um, I've seen it a lot and, uh, yeah, that's, a, a something I wish we could help more entrepreneurs and not run into because, um, my background is actually that, that my dad, um, opened a house painting company back in, I know probably around when you were, when you were opening business, probably 05, 06, 07. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he did really well. He had a bunch of guys painting for him and he got hit with a tax bill. It was a little different. He was misclassifying uh, employees oh. and w, uh, W2 versus 1099. Mm -hmm. um, my dad's got a ninth grade education. So good at painting houses, not so good with business and numbers and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the IRS came knocking, you know, said, Hey, you owe X amount of dollars. It's like, 
hey, I'm done. I don't have that money. Like, well, what am I going to do? Um, I think he still owes that money to this day. He's he's now disabled, so he doesn't. Um, and shortly after that, he had a chronic um, a battle with chronic illness that left mm-hmm. him disabled. So, uh, but to this day, I think he still owes that. So, I actually, I think I'm like a negative one, like negative first entrepreneur. Like, I feel like I'm set back a little bit more. Like, yeah, technically, he started a business, and uh, but it just went really poorly. So, I, I always uh, it's a lesson I'm trying to teach entrepreneurs when I'm talking to them is. Don't find yourself in a hole in the IRS that you can't get out of because the mm-hmm. whole dream dies right there. Things yep. things are looking great and then life just takes a real big turn for the worse if you find yourself in a hole with IRS that you can't get out of. Um, so I'm glad you got out of that. And uh, But it's a message I, I would just wish people were learning from others. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so that's, that's two things now that we've talked about as potential pitfalls. One is spending big on some kind of a coach or whatever, thinking that that's going to be the key to success. When in reality, it's actually like hurting your odds even more if you don't, if you're not in a position to do it. And then secondly, just knowing that, um, how to, how to manage taxes, how to estimate what you're going to owe, ideally start setting aside every month, looking at your, uh, your profit loss statement and saying, okay, here's my profit. Let me take a third of that and stick it over here. Like, that's what I did in my IT business. Um, but I didn't implement that until after I got smacked with a big tax bill that I had had zero money set aside for. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just like that's not complicated. It's just a matter of awareness. You know what I yeah. mean? That's the thing with entrepreneurship. It's not rocket science. It's just, yes, it's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of challenges, but if you take look at them all individually, they can all be dealt with. It's just knowing ahead of time what to anticipate or having a group of people you can turn to for advice when you're faced with a decision can can literally just make or break your your entire journey. Yeah, simple, not easy, right? That's business, money, sales, marketing, all of it. It's simple, not easy, right? I mean, the yeah. concepts are pretty simple. I even think, you know, in terms of building out like a, I think every entrepreneur should have a financial system in their business and it should be very simple. And on the business side, it should be very methodical and calculated, right? X amount comes in. Okay. 20% here, 20% here, 10, 10, 10, whatever it is. It just divvies up. There's a lot of automations you can do now where that automatically happens. You should never have to question like, okay, I just got a, like, I just got paid, you know, I just had a great month, 20,000 this month. Like, what do I do with this money? You should have rules in place where it already decides that. And then when it becomes like personal money and you pay yourself out of the business, well, that floodgates open. That money's emotional, right? If you can treat it like a system in your business, it allows you to kind of be more emotional with it on the personal side. But the, the unfortunate reality is early on, what we see is that there's no system, even like, you know, yeah, they learn the tax lesson and then they get smarter and they put some money aside for taxes or they hire someone, but then there's still no system to know, like, how much should I invest back into the business? How much should I pay myself? You know, what ratio, uh, what profit margin should I be um, looking to achieve? You know, what should my operating expenses be? Do I have the money to make that, you know, large investment in a business coaching? Yeah, at some point, if you're doing well enough, like you were saying earlier, it's not as big of a risk anymore, right? 
a 20 grand coach is a bigger risk when you're only making 20 grand a year, but when you're making 200 grand, that's a smaller risk, right? And so it's a, a, a smaller percentage of, of the revenue you're making. So I think very simple systems can actually be implemented into a business that take maybe like 15 to 30 minutes to, to manage a month. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things like that. So like, yeah, the tax setting aside money for taxes uh, is a big one, right? Mm -hmm. So that's gonna, that's gonna help. Uh, paying your separating your personal finances from your business finances. That's another big huge. One, yeah, uh, that most people don't do. Right. So like, if you're listening to this, and you're like, Oh, I, it's all combined into one, don't feel guilty about it. It happens all the time. But Fix but it. change it, <laughs> right? But change it right now. Uh, you know, lots of good reasons for that. Um, and then, okay, I'm going to separate those. Great, but now I need to pay myself a salary. Understanding that a salary is different than distributions from yep. your, from your business. There's huge benefits to paying yourself a salary. Uh, number one is your personal budget. You need to live off of that salary, right? So get it your personal expenses down or get that salary up to where you can make it work on that. And now what happens is that's a budgeted item for your business. Anything the business makes above and beyond that, you can now look at that. However, often makes sense quarterly distributions, whatever, and do exactly what you alluded to earlier, where you've already decided ahead of time, how you're going to allocate percentages of profit, right? So I know this much is going to taxes, but this much is going to, reinvesting, you know, and into growth or whatever other strategic thing that you want to do. And then beyond that, if you're paying yourself and everybody else a salary for their roles, you need to ultimately work towards getting your salary to be that of the role that you would hire if you replaced yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I think a mistake that I made, I think a lot of people make is, um, you know, only paying yourself X because you can live off of so low. But like, if that's less than the market rate for that role, you're never going to be able to find someone who's willing to do it for what you were doing it. Exactly. Then if that's the case, it means that your pricing isn't high enough to reflect being able to pay market rates for each of the roles that you have. And so you're, you're actually underpriced, but you don't feel justified because you don't want to be too expensive when in reality, you're painting yourself into a corner where you can't yeah. hire your way out. So it's just like all these little things that until you experience it, um, it's hard to anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to mention that you highlighted there is like, you have to know what your personal expenses are. Because when you're a business owner, you can manipulate what you're taking out of the business, right? And so when you're an employee somewhere, you're going to get paid X amount of dollars and it's not changing. So, you know, on your personal side, like you need to spend X or else you're going to rack up a bunch of credit card debt, right? There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. When you're an entrepreneur, you tend to get in this mindset of like, I'll just make more next month. I'll just make more than a month after that. And it doesn't actually work that way. That's a really dangerous uh, way to think about it. And so, you know, you have to know what you need to spend at least the bare minimum, right? What, what is your baseline? I call that your baseline expenses to maintain your current lifestyle without a bunch of the extras, right? And you need to know that number because it's super important because early on, you actually have to kind of sprint to that that revenue. Unless you've got you know, a cash runway, a, a supportive spouse, 
um, you know, something helping out where you can, you can not take money out early on. But I know a lot of first gen entrepreneurs, they don't have that. You need to sprint. Let's say you need $50,000 to live off of. You need to sprint to that. There's no hiring coaches. There's no hiring, you know, there's no unnecessary expenses in the business, no outsourcing. You need to do everything until you get to that baseline where you can cover that and then start building on top of that. And then you can start outsourcing and stuff. But that's one of the biggest mistakes I think entrepreneurs make early on in the business is that they don't cover their own personal expenses. And then that's a lot of stress. Like put the numbers aside of like you're building debt that puts so much stress on you that when you sit down in the morning at your computer to start working, you're not thinking about that email sequence you need to build or that project you need to work on. You're thinking about how the fuck am I going to pay my rent this month? Mm-hmm. Like my wife's going to leave me if I don't start making money because our bills aren't paid. And so I think the stress alone is what you need to avoid and just sprint to to what you need to make to live. Well, and what stinks too is, you know, not to keep beating up on, you know, the gurus and things like that, but there's, there's a lot of, um, (laughs) there, we see a lot of content around, um, working smarter, not harder and, and processes and, and building a team and delegation and all this other kind of stuff. And that's all good and true once you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. But if you spend so much time obsessing over all of these other things and you're not obsessing over your number one problem, which is sprinting to that revenue target that you need to live, then this whole thing is going to sink, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, and, and how good of a judgment call can you make or how, how high quality decisions are you making when you're under duress the entire time thinking about how am I going to pay my bills this month? So. Yeah, I think that that's your number one problem is getting to that revenue target. Don't worry about scaling and automation and efficient and all this other kind of stuff. Just roll up your sleeves and and get there. Then we can start talking about all that other stuff. Um, and in a perfect world, you know, like for me, I looking back, I realized just how fortunate I was. So I had a day job and I was moonlighting. And my wife had a part-time job and we had no kids and we had very little debt other than our house. I had all of that working in my favor and I got my, my side income up to where it was almost half of my day job before I quit my job. And then my wife was working as well. (laughs) So it's like on day one, even though it was a drop in income, it wasn't down to zero and I'm just starting from scratch and living right. off savings. Um, I've now rubbed shoulders with quite a few people who just go from whatever they're making to absolute zero. And now the clock's ticking. They know how much runway they have. It's like, boy, um, I'm not saying it can't be done, but that's, that's a tough road. Cause you can see the stress on their faces. You can hear it in their voices. You, you know that there there's this clock counting down in their head all the time. And so my advice to anybody listening to this is if you're, if you're on that path, if it's not too late, consider trying to burn the candle at both ends for a little bit, uh, so that you can smooth out that, that leap because racing against the clock is not good for your mental and emotional state. And you're less likely to make good choices and you're kind of setting yourself up to, for a harder road ahead, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, my last thoughts on that and then we'll wrap this up. The, um, 
I think that's also why it's really important not to compare yourself to other business owners, right? Because Andrew might be able to make decisions early on based on the fact that he's got full-time income, uh, some side income, his, his wife's got some part-time income. So he can make different decisions than say I can if I've got, this isn't the case, but if I've got you know no spouse and no income, right? Like you can do things that I can't do. So I can't compare how fast you're going to how fast I'm going because I have one goal and it's, it's get revenue as quickly as possible. You can make decisions that allow you to maybe be a little bit more long-term focused where unfortunately I have to focus short-term and then step back and focus long-term, right? Like I don't have the luxury. Of course, you always want to be able to focus long-term, but I don't have the luxury yet, right? I've, I've got to get money as soon as possible. And so I think it's really important. And I think that's a good place to end is let people know, like don't compare yourself to other entrepreneurs. Learn from them. That's fine. But understand that you're running a different race than they are. Um, and we're all running our own race. Andrew, we've talked a lot about the first-gen entrepreneur community. Summarize it in just a couple couple words of who would be a really good fit and where can they go find more information and follow you online? If you were the first person in your family to start a business or that type of business to where you know maybe other family members did, but it doesn't translate to what you're doing then you're faced with a lot of uncertainty. You don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot of pain and anxiety that goes with that. So what I'm building is a community for first-gen entrepreneurs specifically that's designed to act like a bridge to get you to the point where you can afford that fancy business coach we talked about. But in the meantime, especially inside your first five years, most people can't afford that. This is an accessible, affordable way to get the type of mentorship that, that others get to enjoy. Uh, so you can learn more about it if you just go to our website at firstgen.biz. Yeah, go check it out. Andrew's got a new landing page, so it looks nice and pretty. Go check it out. And uh, where can they find you? You hang out on LinkedIn quite a bit, right? Yeah, LinkedIn is is uh, the main one. You can also just shoot me an email if you'd like, andrew at firstgen.biz. I'm open to that too. Awesome. Appreciate you coming on, Andrew. All right. Thanks for having me, Justin. Hey, coaches. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, then you'll definitely enjoy my weekly newsletter, The Wealthy Weekend. Every Friday afternoon, I share actionable tips and stories on how to be a wealthy coach that allows you to get 1% better even on the weekends. Check out the show notes to sign up or hit the link in my Instagram bio, at JustinGreenFP. All right, coaches, until next time, be wealthy.